0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Depression Session on KTDTLP Tucson Downtown Radio. Today, we have with us in the studio Hannah Obedot. She's a college student and an aspiring comedian. We'll be with Hannah in just a moment, but first, I'd like to talk about paranoia. <laughs> I have been avoiding talking about paranoia because I'm embarrassed to admit that I have had it. But here I am in my weekly Sunday confessional to tell you that I, Laura Milkins, have had paranoia. Before I tell you the story, I want to share some of the definitions that I looked up. Marion Webster Dictionary says, The medical definition, a serious mental illness that causes you to falsely believe that other people are trying to harm you, or an unreasonable feeling that people are trying to harm you, do not like you, etc., DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual published by the American Psychiatric Association, says their diagnostic criteria for 301.0 paranoid personality disorder, a pervasive distrust and suspicion of others such that their motives are interpreted as malevolent, beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts, as indicated by four or more of the following. One suspects without sufficient basis that others are trying to exploit, harm, or deceive him or her. Two is preoccupied with unjustified doubts that about the loyalty, trustworthiness of friends or associates. Three, is reluctant to confide in others because of unwarranted fear that the information may be used maliciously against him or her. Four, reads hidden, demeaning, or threatening meanings into benign remarks or events. Five, persistently bears grudges, i.e. is unforgiving of insults, injuries, or insights. Six, perceives attacks on his or her character or reputation that are not apparent to others and is quick to react angrily to counterattack. Seven, has recurrent suspicions without justification regarding fidelity of spouse or sexual partner. Hmm, is it just me or is this the description of politics in America today? <laughs> I, I've i been thinking about like, is paranoia, like some sort of paranoia relatively common? I think it might be. there. I have a little mild cyclical hormonally based paranoia where I just feel like, Oh, that person doesn't like me. I'm fat. Nobody really cares if I'm here. You know, I have these feelings of like, that person wants me to lose my job. I mean, just strange things, weird things that don't make any sense, that aren't based on reality, that have nothing to do with uh, my actual situation in life. So given that, I feel like these little cyclical things, and they're not, they're not very strong. I always go, that's silly. I'm doing fine. I'm doing a good job. Nobody's out to get me. But the feeling that I had a number of years ago was a little more than that. So I had been dating someone. Well, let's say, I. okay, my stepfather died. I walked across the country. My dad died. I came back. I started a new job. And then that summer, I was teaching up in Payson, and I was dating a big, tall, handsome cowboy, which was nice, but things didn't work out. And I ended up, because I was in Payson but had nowhere to live, I ended up camping for a little while at a campground. And I was up in the middle of the night, Listening to coyotes and hearing, I had heard stories of bear attacks and I'm in my tent and I, I'm feeling like maybe my ex boyfriend was out to get me. He was a man with many guns and just had this like awful feeling. And at the time it didn't seem that unreasonable. I mean, I'd just broken up with somebody who, who actually had like a semi automatic gun in his house. And I just thought, well, maybe it's not paranoid. I felt like he was watching me or had people following me. It's a little crazy, but not completely unrealistic and then I found someone out, where else to stay actually a woman is an artist group had invited me to speak to their group and I did and then I told her my situation we were just chatting and she said hey I have a family cabin that you might be able to rent let me check with my family and see if that's okay so for like fifty dollars a week I rented this cabin up in the mountains beautiful there was a river that went past it there were elk that frolicked in the field every morning and it was really kind of la la land lovely but still, I had this pervasive feeling that things were not right. Someone was out to get me. And at the same time, I was having um, perimenopausal symptoms. And, it, and it's like pre-men- premenopause symptoms where you, I was bleeding all the time, not to go into too many deals, but bleeding all the time and like really kind of uncomfortable and feeling Crazy feeling, off, like having hot flashes and stuff, and I, you know, sought medical help, and they were, they just blew it off and said, "You're you're too young to have perimenopausal symptoms," and I said, "Oh, okay, but I'm having them," and my mom had them around my age, and that was something that scared me because she had those symptoms for ten years, starting in her forties, and she really was a little, I don't know. She was a little off that whole time, like anxious and sometimes just, we'd call it wigging out. My brother and I say, mom's wigging out because she would just be off and kind of fly off the handle or strange behavior, poor decisions, all those sort of things that we don't don't want to experience. And I thought, oh my God, I'm going to have 10 years of this. It didn't stop until she had a hysterectomy. And I thought, 10 years of feeling this paranoia and anxiety? I don't think I can do this. This is is awful. And so when I was back down in Tucson, I called a mental health agency that will remain nameless. But I called and I said, I'm having these symptoms. I left a message and they said, we'll get back to you in 24, 48 hours. So I left a message saying, I'm having some feelings of paranoia. Because at that point, I felt that I was under surveillance and I knew, like, that's not just feeling like, oh, I broke up with my boyfriend and he has a bunch of guns in his house. I thought the police were out to get me. I was looking in the rearview mirror when I'm driving around wondering if there's some detective following me. I've never committed any crimes in my life. I've never, you know, even, like, not paid a parking ticket. I'm, like, not not a particularly um somebody that the police would want to watch. But I guess that's pretty common with paranoia that you feel like the police are watching you, that you're under surveillance. And it was a really strong feeling and this is where it gets embarrassing, I was even checking through my drapes with binoculars to see if anybody was watching me at night. And I knew it was crazy. I knew like nobody's watching me. I've never done anything wrong. There's nobody out there, but I'll just check. I'll just peek because maybe there is somebody out there because the feeling was so strong. And I'd be driving around, checking my rearview mirror and saying to myself, that's nuts. Nobody's following you. But there's two parts of your brain. There's the rational part that knows like there, there's no reason the police will be out to get you. And there's the other part of your brain that makes these crazy stories. And it's weird that it's tying to hormones. It's It's weird to me. So I called this agency and left a message saying, this is what's happening. I'm having some clinical paranoia and I need some help. Nobody called me back. So I called again and I said, hey, I'm having some paranoia. I'm feeling like people are watching me, you know, to get me. Um, I really appreciate if somebody could call me back because I'm paranoid. Now I feel like you're part of the conspiracy. <laughs> and nobody called me back. Another week went by. And I called again. And this time I I asked for the operator rather than pushing all the buttons, you know, I just pushed zero and got the operator and I said, hey, I'm having paranoia and I've called twice and nobody's gotten back to me. So they're all part of the conspiracy now. And she laughed. I said, I really, I really need somebody to call me back. I'm having a hard time. I don't have any health insurance and I'm an adjunct teacher, and professor, and I don't have any insurance and I'm having these symptoms and, you know, I'm okay, but I need someone to call me back. She said, absolutely. I will put a note on their desk. Nobody called me back. And at that point, I went a different route. I have a shiatsu guy that I see that kind of performs some kind of magic. It's massage, but it's something different. They do acupressure points and kind of passive yoga, and he has his own style. And I thought, this is a hormonal imbalance. And I don't think, I think maybe the mind, body, spirit approach might work better than having gone to, oh, and I went to another doctor. I forgot about that. I went to a doctor in Payson. They told me I couldn't be having perimenopausal symptoms. I went to another doctor and she, and I said, I really don't know that I want to take medication. I I think if I can be referred and maybe get therapy or something, that didn't happen. I felt like I was reaching out in every way and feeling like I wasn't getting help. So I then that actually preceded the panic attack that I talked about a couple of weeks ago and at that point things were it actually got better after that. But anyway, I called up my shiatsu guy and I said, "Hey, this is what's going on with me. Can I see you?" He said, "Yes." And I actually asked my mom I'd been talking to her about everything that was going on and I said, "I have no money. I have no insurance and I need some help. Like I really need some help." and I've been reaching out for help. I told her all these things. And I said, you know, maybe it's all part of a conspiracy. Maybe I'm right. (laughs) you know. And she's like, no, I was like, I know. It's just, it's hard because it feels so real. And, you know, you're almost trying to convince her like maybe people are watching me and the police are out to get me. And now I've called mental health and they haven't helped me. (laughs) And maybe it's all one big conspiracy and my poor mother I I said let me know if this is too much for you at any point I just need to talk about it I know it's crazy I know these things are not true but if I don't tell someone I'm gonna actually go crazy so then at that point went to see my shiatsu guy and he we talked about what's happening and he did some body work on me and I came out of there for the first time in months feeling better And then I saw him two weeks later. Actually, I think I saw him every week for a month. And then I saw him monthly. And that literally is what helped me. Everything got back in balance. All of the perimenopausal symptoms calmed down, although I still wake up at 4 in the morning. I'm in my 40s. I don't know. I wake up at 3. I wake up at 4. I've been talking to friends. I guess that's very common. (laughs) Just wake up all throughout the night for no reason. But those, those symptoms of paranoia went away. The anxiety went away. Other menstrual-related symptoms went away. And everything's good now. It's kind of remarkable that when you're in a place like that, and here I am, an educated woman who I should be able to get help when I ask for it. I understood things that were going on. And when I went to see the doctor and she prescribed Xanax, that was actually after the panic attack. That at that point everything evened out. And seeing the Shiatsu guy was extremely helpful. And not I, I just didn't want to take medication. I wanted to find another solution. And going through the mental health routes and not getting help and then finally having a panic attack going to the hospital did help. So I just want to say on that note if you if you're having a hard time and you're you ask for help and don't get it, persist, just keep looking for help because it's it's one of those things that you you don't expect, and then when it happens, you don't know what to do. And then when you ask for help, if you don't get help, and I've heard this from other people actually, that they reached out for help and didn't get it, persist, go whatever avenue you can, look every, look for all your resources, ask your mom to help if you have to. <laughs> anyway, thank you all for listening to that. So today with us in the studio, we have Hannah Obadat. She's a college student and aspiring comedian. And so Hannah, welcome.
1: Hi, thank you for having me. Um, I'm happy to be here. I'm glad to have you. So what's new for you? I'm getting ready to start my second semester of my freshman year in college. I'm doing really well at my job. I I don't know, nothing really, you know, just the usual, I guess your average everyday
0: uh, First year of college. Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) Um not getting too much sleep. You know, yeah. So, average college student. You know,
0: <laughs> you made it for the through the first semester, though.
1: Yeah, exactly. Then not thinks... too much paranoia. Oh no, no. <laughs> Lots of uh, Jack in the Box late at night, though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, Hannah, welcome to the show. Tell us the story of your depression.
1: All right. Well, basically, I'm 18 years old, a college freshman, as you know. Um, I'm from Tucson, and um, I started to feel depressed. Well, I, I didn't really know it was depression, I guess. I always felt kind of off, starting from my childhood, I guess. There were times when I would feel kind of funky, and um of course, like, my family and I, we just thought it was like, oh, she's a little kid, she's having a tantrum, or, um, oh, she's a preteen, she's going through that whole, like, oh, like, the world hates me phase, whatever, and... um, <laughs> After a while, as I started to head into high school, I was like, you know, I don't know if it's normal to feel kind of bummed out all the time. And um, as time went on, I probably like a year or two into high school, I was like really starting to feel my depression and anxiety kind of hit me. And I knew at that point that something needed to be done and something wasn't really right. I always felt kind of off-balance. I would have days where everything just seemed kind of dull. It's kind of like having an overcast day, but all the time. And so, um, basically, I kind of went to my parents and I was like, Hey, this is what's going on, you know? And, like, not to say that they were negligent by any means, but, you know, they were both going through their own things personally with, like, work and then their social lives and whatever. They kind of just uh brushed it off at that point, it wasn't really a huge deal, I guess. but basically my junior year of high school, um, I started to go out with friends a lot. I did theater throughout high school, and I think those two things going like between going out and then also um, doing theater, I think it was just whenever I had an opportunity to not feel like me, I took advantage of that. And um, I just, I would find myself pretending to be someone I wasn't, whether it was on stage or at a party or whatever. And um, I took a step back and I was like, you know, that's, I don't think that's normal. I don't think that's something that I should be doing. I would prefer to be myself, you know, Um, rather than pretending to be this, like, popular, cool girl that doesn't really care, like, happy-go-lucky, whatever. And I'm like, you know, that's not really cool. (laughs) I would much rather be myself and... it Like, I would rather be depressed and be myself than be even more depressed and be someone else. Basically, towards the end of junior year, I stopped. I got my act together socially, I should say. I stopped going out. Kind of didn't keep with theater, I just, I had an overwhelming feeling of loneliness, and I felt hopeless and sad and alone, and it was kind of interesting to feel that way when I had so many people in my life there for me. But, you know, I noticed with, at least with my depression, um, the whole world could be there for you, and you would still feel like you were by yourself, and I'm still trying to figure out why that is. I think it's just because... Everyone who struggles with depression experiences it differently, and that's how I was experiencing it. I just felt like even if someone was depressed and they were trying to relate to me, I was like, no, like you don't know what I'm going through, and I'm not going to take your advice, and you could tell me that things are going to be okay as many times as you want, but I don't see it being okay ever I would have days where I just, I was like, I don't want to be me anymore. I don't really know why I'm here even. And, um, it was like an existential crisis every day. And I'm like, I'm like 16, 17 years old. Why am I having existential (laughs) crises? And so people would, when I told people I was depressed, they were, they were shocked to say the least. They're like, are you sure? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) And, you know, I think. It was just funny to hear that, because on the outside, I'm always, like like you said, aspiring comedian, like I'm a go get like, oh, like, what are we doing today kind of person. And behind closed doors, I just, like, felt like a blob, like (laughs) I could not do anything. I think it was uh, senior year, I quit my job. I was super depressed, I would miss school, I wouldn't be able to leave my bed, I would just cry all day and um there came a point where I was just I couldn't handle it anymore I I was like you know I have the option to either like it could go one of two ways I could be miserable every day till I do something horrible to myself or I could get my act together stop feeling sorry for myself and go out and do something about it and um I remember one day this was kind of like the breaking point I was um It's a 15, 20-minute drive from my high school to my dad's house. I was driving home from school, and it took me 45 minutes to get home, maybe an hour, actually, because I had about two anxiety attacks on the way, just for no reason. I didn't have a stressful day or anything. I was just kind of freaking out. I remember I pulled into my driveway at my dad's house, and my dad's kind of—he doesn't show his emotions, really. (laughs) So— I pulled into the driveway and I remember I reclined the seat back and I just kind of went into the fetal position and broke down. <laughs> I was crying and screaming. And of course, my dad had called me a couple times because it's 45 minutes, an hour after school and I still wasn't home. And then he went out into the driveway and he saw me. And um, for me, this was kind of a huge point with my dad and I. He kind of just ran out of the house, picked me up and then... Ran inside with me and just kind of like held me for a while while I just sobbed. And I was like, you know, I need help. Like, I'm not gonna, I can't do this anymore. And like, I know it might seem silly to you and mom, but like, I need, I need to do something about this. And I, I even told my mom, I was like, you know, if I don't get help in some way, I'm not gonna make it to next year, you know? Like, I, I don't wanna live like this. I don't think anyone should have to live like this. So I got help. My parents, I'm, I'm very grateful for them because they, they, uh, helped me pay for my therapist. I eventually went on antidepressants, which I was hesitant about. But, you know, it really, really, really does help. As long as you're on the right one for you, then I think then I think it's really a benefit. I mean, I, I was at the point where I figured you know, I don't have anything to lose. I might as well try it. Because if I don't, then I'm going to kick myself in the butt for not doing everything I could, you know? Basically, I just – I want to say to anyone out there struggling, you know, you can – you can fight this. You you have two choices. You can either sit there, do nothing, or you can get up and go do something. And I got up and I did something about it. And it is possible even if it's really difficult. You have the options. You have them right there in front of you. You just have to kind of push yourself. And I think that's the hardest part. But, you know, it's possible. Yeah. So nowadays, um, if I ever feel down, I just listen to some stand-up comedy <laughs> and try to cheer myself up. I'll exercise I try to do on a regular basis, but my muscles say otherwise whenever I'm sore for a week (laughs) after the gym. Yeah, it's just, I I am just very lucky to have the people I do in my life, my friends, my family, my boyfriend, my coworkers, whoever. I'm just, I'm very thankful for all the people I have. And, um, you know, if you're struggling and you feel like there's no other option, there's always an option. There's actually a really great quote from one of my favorite authors, Stephen Chbosky. It says, uh, even if we don't have the power to choose where we come from, we can still choose where we go from there. And I think that's really important for people to know. Um, No matter what your background is, whether it's mental, physical, personal, you you really do have the option to kind of change things. You don't have to be the person that sits behind the closed door all day in the dark. You can really go outside and
0: get things together. Yeah. Thank you so much for your story, Hannah. Yeah. It's really great. I know during the practice session, one of the things we talked about was, and it was something that I really related to, the same thing of like saying, hey, I kind of don't feel okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And having people say, oh, yeah, you know, you're going through yeah. a phase.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And for a while, I was in denial myself about being depressed. And I... I don't know why that was. I don't know if it was, like, a social thing. Like, oh, if you're depressed, then you're kind of, like, the minority. Like, there's something wrong. But as I've learned to deal with my depression and I've, like, embraced it rather than neglected it, I've learned that, like, most of the people I know are depressed or have experienced depression, whether it's clinical or situational. I I thought that was kind of funny. I was like, you know... If people were more open about this, maybe we could do something. <laughs> it's nothing to be ashamed of.
0: And and one of the things that really struck me is like you, your parents. Once you got to that point where you're like, I can't. I'm not. I'm not going to make it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to make it if it doesn't change. They responded and got you help. And I and I know you sought therapy, right? You, yes,
1: correct. And mm-hmm. you had a
0: good experience with it. Would you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. Um, I was very new to the whole counseling thing. I had never gone to a counselor once before in my life. I guess there was never really a reason to. (laughs) My parents got divorced when I was two, so you're not going to put a two-year-old into therapy about why (laughs) your parents aren't together. But um, I basically, my mom kind of looked up um, therapists that were... As inexpensive as a therapist can be. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we all live under economic rules. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> you can fix your depression, but it comes at a price. And so basically, the first woman I went to, she was amazing. She's a hilarious woman, very relatable. She mainly, her practice first started out with young women. And um, now she does like all different ages and genders. But I, I guess it was kind of a perfect match. When she was about my age, she struggled with the same thing. So she was very relatable. I was lucky to, enough to kind of like hit the nail on the head with the first therapist I went to.
0: Yeah, very lucky. I've had some experiences. I had a therapist fall asleep during a session. And I'm sure she was just overworked, but it was a little <laughs> insulting. I'm like, you know, I'm having a really hard time. And I look over <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh no! She just got back from lunch,
0: <laughs> and so I think I think that you, one of the things that I really feel with your story that I'm really touched by is it's so hopeful. It's like you're young, mm-hmm. you asked for help, you had to ask several times, which yeah. is one of the themes here. Yeah, you ask several times. Yeah, you your parent you got through to your parents. They were on board. Mm-hmm. You got a therapist that you guys could afford, and yeah. she was super helpful. Did yeah. you end up taking medication?
1: Yes. I'm actually on uh, Sertraline. It's the generic of Zoloft. And I, my doctor, my therapist recommended it. My doctor prescribed it. My doctor was like, yeah, you should go on this. It's funny. Um My doctor and I are like best friends because <laughs> of various health issues that I have. But, you know
0: on a first name basis
1: oh yeah like we text (laughs) and we get coffee but (laughs) I wish I were joking (laughs) but yeah she it's funny she was actually one of the more prominent people throughout my journey with depression um she noticed it when I was very young and she would always kind of encourage me to like talk to my parents and I was whenever she would encourage it I was like you know no like I don't think so because I was still in denial but when I finally got help she's like oh thank god
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and the, it's one of those things about developing a relationship with your healthcare professionals. And I wanted to mention, like, I, when I was in the depths of my paranoia, I was all on board for taking medication. I was mm-hmm. like, anything that will help this. And that's when I couldn't find an agency to help me. Oh, of and course. then by the time I was like through the worst of it, felt a little better. And then I had my huge panic attack and yep. ended up in the hospital. That's when they're like, here, take medication. I'm like, well, now I don't need, need it. it. Yeah. I've, I've <laughs> I gotten think, it out. <laughs> I think now that I know that this is a, a, a panic attack, I, I feel like, okay, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't need, yep. I don't need medication <laughs> now. Like I'm, I'm getting help with my shiatsu guy. That's going really yeah. well, but it's a f- funny thing there. there, uh, Sometimes things are not all in balance and you don't get the help that you need when you need it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm just so glad that you did. And that's, you know,
1: yeah, I'm, I'm very, I'm very lucky. And in a way I, I'm kind of happy that I struggled with depression, especially at such an early age, because, you know, it kind of. It kind of puts life into a different perspective. You know, I was thinking about it. I think I was talking to a friend about this a day or two ago. And I'm like, you know, I am so glad. I don't think I would have ever gone through anything like like suicidal wise. Like I could never I don't think I would have the guts to do that. <laughs> and I hope none of you would either. But <laughs> um, I, I was like, I am so happy that I am here right now. I would not be able to forgive myself if I hadn't. Taking advantage of
0: every option I had. Wow, that's a perfect note to close the show. Thank you so much for coming on the show and yeah, telling your story, Anna. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you all for listening to the depression session. Again, I want to mention that if you found some of the content of today's show triggering, please seek professional help. And worst case scenario, call 911 if you're feeling like you might hurt yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. You've been listening to the Depression Session on Downtown Radio with music by Septa Helix. Find us on Facebook at the Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.